You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. We're going to be jumping into our message. Um, this is my, my final warning. Adult themes emerging. Tonight's message is TVMA. So, anyways, if you have kids that you think it would be inappropriate for them to learn on things like sex and pornography, I would encourage you to invite them to one of the, the older room. Uh, likewise, the uh, kids in the back are welcome to that. Uh, but we're going to get into a conversation that we don't always get into in church. And it's for that reason that a lot of times the church doesn't know what to do about things because uh, a lot of times they just don't talk about it. So uh, we're going to talk about it, kind of break that down. I do want to remind you, you can submit questions on Slido, slido slido.com, S-L-I-D-O.com. Or you can just go to our webpage, type in a question. We won't deal with it tonight, but we will deal with it on the midweek podcast. So if you have questions as we're going throughout tonight, feel free to put those up. Over there. Um, And if I'm walking around, I'll talk loud so you can hear me no matter where I am. Um, But I I feel like uh, there's been some encouragement from God today to keep pushing on this subject. A lot of times, you know, we put this subject aside. We don't want to talk about it. Uh, Even nervousness in me to get into the topic. But then this morning, I had this really... Uh, seductive dream of sorts, and it it was a very, very powerful seductive dream. And when I woke up, I just had this moment where I knew, like, Satan was tempting me, trying to see if he could just kind of, like, mess me up this morning so that by the time I got here, I wouldn't feel empowered enough to speak on this conversation. And uh, a lot of times when you figure out what Satan doesn't want you to do, you know, you do the opposite, right? (laughs) So if he's trying to make you feel like, yeah, you don't want to talk about that, then you're like, well, then I need to talk about it. Likewise, about two hours ago, somebody sent me a text just feeling like, I feel like God's saying, let the stress go, just, you know, uh, I don't even remember the exact words, but encouraging me to be brave. So uh, so we'll get into this conversation just kind of listening to what the Holy Spirit's doing. But to get to it, uh, we're going to go through a few phases here. We're going to talk about... uh, where we're at in Matthew, that's going to lead us into Hebrews, and we're going to talk about some other things after that. So this is kind of our outline up on the screen as to what we'll be talking about today. But let's start in Matthew 4, 1 through 11. If you wanted to read along with me, it won't be on the screen today. Uh, I'm reading out of the ESV. So if you're using a phone and it's easier to read in the same translation, you can flip over to that, the English Standard Translation. And here we're going to find Jesus tempted in the desert. Uh, This is, uh, just to catch you up to speed, last week we talked about uh, people being told to repent, which is this idea of you were walking one way, now repent and go the other way. That's the Hebrew translation of that word. Or to return, you were walking away from God, now return to him. In the New Testament, it was also like a change your mind from the way you're thinking to the way that God thinks. So altogether, the idea of repenting is just like change everything you're doing, the way you think, the way you're living, to now follow after God in those exact kind of ways. So I, I, uh, 
Uh, as we talked about that last week, we then see Jesus come up to John and he gets baptized in the water saying, Jesus didn't have to repent of anything, but he did it anyways. That should be an important lesson for us to learn because a lot of people are like, I don't need to be baptized. Look, Jesus did it, okay? <laughs> Usually a pretty good sign that we should do something when God himself is like, I'll do it. Um, so Jesus gets baptized. He comes out of the water and then he gets baptized a second time, this time not by water, but by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit comes on him and chases him out into the desert. And it's there in the desert that we come to Matthew 4, 1 through 11. So here it is. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory and said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Now, right here in the Bible, you have this understanding that Jesus, who was God, actually was tempted, right? These are the, the big temptations that we celebrate every year when we fast with Jesus. Uh, and right here for Lent, and right here, we have Jesus actually being tempted. Now, a lot of people are like, oh, well, Jesus is God, so it wasn't really a struggle for him. He didn't even really get tempted. No, look, guys, the, the understanding of what a temptation is, <laughs> is that it's tempting, right? Otherwise, they wouldn't call it a temptation. They would call it a I don't know what they would call it, but it wouldn't be called temptation, right? A suggestion. A suggestion. It wouldn't be tempting to him. But here Jesus is being tempted by Satan. Try these things out. And a lot of us kind of struggle to like, kind of like feel the pain of Jesus because we just don't really feel tempted in the ways that Jesus got tempted, right? Most of you are like, man, I don't usually feel tempted to turn stones into bread <laughs> or to jump off buildings <laughs> or, or to, to give Satan worships, so he gives me all the power of all the kingdoms. Most people don't feel tempted in those ways. So we look at the ways in which Jesus was tempted, and we're like, oh, that's not super helpful to, to bond with Jesus. But Hebrews understood that, that Jesus really shows us that we can recognize in the ways in which he was tempted, we can recognize ourselves and see that Jesus gives us the power to come out the other side having beaten temptation. This is Hebrews 4.15, and it calls Jesus a high priest. That picture up on the screen is, is uh, a glimpse of what Jesus would look like in this symbolism of being a high priest. Uh, but it says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. That right there is a powerful passage. You may not be able to relate with Jesus' temptations of jumping off buildings and 
and uh, giving all the power over the world or turning stones into bread. But right here, Hebrews wants us to know, look, Jesus was just as human as any other human. Sure, he was 100% God, but he also was 100% human. And so in the same ways that we have to do things as humans, Jesus had to do things as human. And, And the Bible emphasizes just how human he was. He was so human that, I don't know if you noticed this, but the Bible says he paid taxes. He had to pay taxes, right? He had life, death, and taxes, the the most human things of the world. (laughs) Jesus himself had to experience. And the list goes on. I talk about this in my book, A Taste of Jesus, where like in part of one chapter, I just like list verse after verse after verse after verse of all the ways in which the gospel shows Jesus was fully human. A lot of times we have a hard time getting behind that because we see Jesus walking around doing crazy miracles. And we're like, that's not a human thing to do. And you're right. Jesus didn't do miracles because he was God. Jesus did miracles because he had the power of the Holy Spirit in him. That's not new. The Old Testament, guess what? It had people do miracles, raise the dead, multiply food. Most of the things that Jesus did happened in the Old Testament too. And those particular people who do those things in the Old Testament do it because they have the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus gets baptized in the Holy Spirit, guess what happens right after? He goes out and he starts doing things that the Holy Spirit has always empowered people to do. So in the same way, we have to recognize that just as Jesus walks in power because he has the Holy Spirit on him, so he also beats sin. Even though he's tempted with it in human form, he still beats it in every occasion. Now, no, no human's going to pull this off, right? There is a certain God element to that. Uh, but that's not to say that, therefore, Jesus wasn't tempted at all. Uh, in fact, uh, If you fast forward, you remember the passage where Jesus is like, guys, disciples, I'm going to die. And then Peter's like, no, 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 that's never going to happen to you. And you remember what Peter says? Get behind me, Satan. Why? Well, I think because Peter just echoed Satan's temptation. There's another way to get power over the world and stay alive. And here comes Peter saying, there's another way to get power over the world and stay alive. And Jesus right there recognizes the temptation of Satan all over again and says, get behind me, Satan, says it to Peter. You set your mind on the ways of of this world and not on the ways of God. So all this being said, you're like, what the heck does this have to do with sex? (laughs) I mean, where where are we going with this? And our, our tangent into sex is this. If there is one human thing that everyone can can sync with, that everyone is aware of the temptation of, it's sex. It's sex. Eventually we get this point where our bodies just take off. We experience these things called hormones that we never knew before. And we start hearing all of the possibilities of what you can do with all this new stuff that's raging through you. And it's very, very powerful to the point that if we're not careful, if we're not paying attention to how God would have us use that gift, and the ways in which he allows us to use that gift, which the Bible clearly shows as marriage between man and woman, and that's the only space in marriage where God leaves that as a a gift. Well, when we start to catch that vision, we realize that like, as humans, if we wanna live up to God's standard, well, we got a lot of work to do, because that's really hard. And I'll, I'll admit, it's, it's hard today. You know, at least in Bible times, it's like, ah, they went through puberty. They'll have to get married soon. <laughs> For us, we're like, what? <laughs> right? But our culture is a little bit difficult on that because a good Christian is told, ah, 
you went through puberty, give it 15, 20 years, and you can finally have sex. And you're like, oh, okay. I only got to fend off temptation for another two decades. Okay, all right, here we go. Um, but that's uh, how things kind of work out culturally. So I think a lot of people in the meantime, while they uh, are trying to push that off, they get caught up in things like pornography, if not just sex or masturbation or something else. So we have to recognize that Jesus overcame temptation in all its forms, and therefore that gives us hope to overcome it ourselves. Now, the world today, we've got a pretty big problem with porn. And please, as I continue preaching, don't, don't gasp at things. <laughs> don't say amen to things, okay? Just because there's a lot of shame behind this. And the last thing someone needs is to, to hear a stat and identify with that stat and then have someone in the church be like, mm, oh. No, this is a problem in the church just like it is everywhere else. And getting out of it requires grace, not condemnation. So uh, just kind of watch your posture and the noises that escape you as we talk about. Uh, we're going to be looking at a lot of stats that come from a great book called The Porn Phenomenon. This is from Barna Group. Uh, if you've uh, ever heard of them, they're like the kind of golden standard of Christian research. They do a lot of surveys to try to kind of figure out where people stand on all different kinds of issues and what that means for Christianity. So all the facts I'll be using come from this book, which came out, uh, uh, I think, two, three, I guess it's been, it might have been four years ago. So things might have even evolved uh, since then. But let's take a look at it. So first off, um, porn use of males, we're going to start with men because a lot of times this gets identified as a male issue, and it's not. We're going to see that. Uh, but let's start there since so that's usually what we think. Uh, 13 and up. I'm lumping all men together, whether you're a Christian or not. As long as you're 13 or older and a male, this is what uh, you often... This is the stats of what fall into that. So as far as men using porn on a daily basis, 11%. So one in every 10 people have found themselves so caught up in this sexual temptation that on a daily basis, they're finding themselves in this. Now, if we move to monthly, it goes up. 51% of men in America are struggling with pornography on a monthly basis. That means... One in every two men uh, are finding themselves 12 times a year, at least, falling into this. And if we bump that up to just like occasional usage of porn, we would find ourselves at 69%. It's really not helping me here with my message. Um, but we find ourselves seven out of 10 men in America will find themselves kind of caught up into into this problem on an occasional basis. So we see like it is an issue. In fact, people call it today like the porn epidemic. I was watching, uh, I just had the TV on last week and, and it was a secular vulgar show that was just kind of in the background when I realized the conversation they were talking about was this conversation that porn has become a bit of an epidemic. There's this kind of like unattractive cartoon, is a cartoon, this unattractive kids like, this really attractive girl comes up to this unattractive kid and she's like, Hey, would you like to go dance with me? He's like, no, leave me alone. She's like, oh, I just thought maybe you would go. He's like, I said no. And you're like, why did this unattractive man say no to this date with an attractive woman? And as it goes on, it tells in its own kind of crass form. The fact that this kid's got so hung up on pornography that uh, he doesn't understand beauty anymore, right? Like his understanding of beauty and what sex is and all these things are so far that he can't see a beautiful woman 
right in front of him. I'm just saying like a secular TV show that's known for being a bit vulgar caught on to this problem. And they spend some of the rest of the episode trying to sort this out with him. So if secular culture has noticed it, well, it'd be important for Christians to notice it too. Because as we've seen with the stats, it's all around us. Now, uh, women sometimes are like, oh, man, I just feel so awkward. I, I feel like I especially can't confess to it because this is always identified as like a male problem. And I just want, if you're a woman in this room struggling with it, I have good news for you. You are not alone. You're not alone. Uh, as far as like weekly usage for females, it's true. It is lower, but 7%, that's almost one in every 10 women are struggling with this. And I've been in meetings, uh, Christian meetings, where they're talking about porn. And I've seen, I remember a girl standing up in college once and be like, look, this isn't just a male issue. And I'm tired. I can't talk about it because, like, I'm a girl dealing with it. And I'm just being relegated to, like, no, you can't struggle with this. And I do. So women, be empowered to have a conversation. No, you are not alone. That's usually part of the reason people don't talk about this in the first place, right? Everybody feels really alone. And like, if they confess to this, their whole life would fall apart or something. So things just keep falling apart more because we hold it in. And even though 7% of uh, uh, women will deal with this on a weekly basis, the stats go up. Men, in our desire to uh, push women into sex, we've done something pretty incredible. When you look at female teens, when you look at female teens and female young adults, 51% of female teens and female young adults have sent a nude picture of themselves to someone else, which means that, you know, men who are dealing with the struggle of pornography are trying to bait in their significant others to come into the conversation and to send them nude pictures of themselves. So we're turning our, our significant others and friends into pornography and you see that this, this, this is a pretty staggering high, uh, one in every two women have dealt with that before. Uh, so that just shows us like men were pulling them into our own usage of it. So just to kind of summarize all that anyways, 69% of men uh, look at porn on some kind of basis and 7% of women look on at porn on some kind of basis as well. And a lot of times we're like, okay, so we must be the other 30% as a church. <laughs> and that's not what the stats show at all. Porn use of Christians is quite there itself. 7% of Christians use porn weekly. And uh, if we look specifically at millennials, 25 to 30, we would see that one in every three Christian millennials deals with porn. That doesn't really shock me because these are kind of the people in the age that grew up with the internet, <laughs> right? Yeah. This may surprise some of you youngins in here, but the internet, there was a time where it didn't exist. I'm that old now where I can say that. Back in my day, we had to pick up the rotary phone <laughs> and call someone else from somewhere. Uh, and if you, if you tried to call our house while I was on the internet, it kicked me off the internet because you interfered with my phone line. It was just, times were different back then, right? We didn't have smartphones and all, I sound so old. Okay, so anyways. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, my point is, when you look at people who grew up with this, you can almost see, like, 
One in every three Christian millennials, 25 to 30, are struggling with this because they probably grew up in an age where parents didn't understand how the computers work, how the internet worked, and kids didn't understand how computers work, how the internet worked. Back in the day, if you wanted to see some porn, you had to go to a store, look a man in the eye, and buy it from him. <laughs> but now, you've got this thing called a computer, and you just type in any body part, and suddenly, there it all is. After you wait back in the day for like two hours for it to download. This is just how things used to be. But that's not like that anymore. You can see everything in seconds from your phone. It's just, it's not hard to get stuck on this. It's a problem in churches with Christians just as much as everyone else. And that, again, should empower us to be able to talk about it rather than keep it behind closed doors. But it should also... Um, push us to recognize that we need to be able to talk about it. I remember in youth group, I learned, you know, just how prevalent of an issue it was. Uh, in youth group growing up, we broke into teams. If, if you remember these days in the youth group, all the men stay with me for a little bit. All the girls go into that room and talk with the girl leaders because tonight we're going to talk about sex, right? And I just remember, like, I feel like usually when you do this, like, the leader just kind of bats around the bush for a while, doesn't actually like say anything super helpful to anyone because everyone's dealing with it, but you don't want to state it. And so I just remember eventually at the end being like, look, I've seen porn. It's hard to not look at it. I want to look at it. I want to search for it. And, and I don't know how to stop. And I just remember like that confession right there changed the room. Suddenly, the youth pastor is like, look, here's my story. When I was growing up, I found magazines under my dad's bed, and I was curious, and I started looking through them, and, well, that started to mess with me. So I confessed to this. Suddenly, the youth pastor confesses to it. Suddenly, other guys in the room are like, I deal with it, too. I deal with it, too. I've dealt with it, too. I'm going through it, too. And it's like, wow. We were all just afraid to say it, and as soon as you say it, suddenly everyone's like, yeah, I go through it too. And the ones who aren't saying it, you can see in their eyes, like, I'm not going to say it. <laughs> but you can tell, like, they're dealing with it too. And this ability to open up and talk about the conversation is what people need to find freedom. Uh, the church is the one place where people are especially afraid to talk about it, and therefore why we get so stuck in freedom. I mean, these facts I showed you, you know, these are... These last two facts were about Christians dealing with porn. You realize these facts are probably really low because I would imagine if a Christian research person called you and said, hi, are you a Christian? Yes, I am. Do you look at porn? No, right? Like, so there's this margin of error here that is probably like significantly higher than what it's saying. So people get caught up in this. Many Christians want to stop. Actually, Christians are twice as likely to feel guilt when watching porn than non-Christians. Christians are twice as likely to say they're trying to stop the non-Christians. And Christians are almost three times as likely to say they'd rather not use it all, use porn at all, than non-Christians. And for people who haven't dealt with porn, they're just like, well, then why do you even deal with it? What's, what's the issue with you? Just stop. Look, it's 2019. We know that doesn't work with other addictions, right? <laughs> You don't just go up to a heroin user and be like, just stop, you crazy person. Why? Because we know there's so much more at play. We know the body chemistry has shifted and changed and that things are off and now their body 
needs this thing. You see a, a crack baby, right? A baby who's been born from a mother who's been using cocaine. The baby is all messed up from a, a balanced level of how their system's supposed to work because the addiction has moved on into them. In the same way, many Christians are experiencing addiction to uh, sexuality, and it's, it's easy. It's like a drug, and you don't have to go into some shady back alley to get the exchange for your drug and hope the police don't catch you or that someone shoots you or that you have enough money. You literally just need one item out of your pocket, right? And that's all it takes to get caught up in it. Now, there's lots of reasons people fall into it. 63% of people say they look at it for personal arousal. 33% say curiosity. 30% say fun. 29% say tips for their own relationships. And 27% say they're just bored. And so you find these kind of things to be the reasons people fall into it. Now, it's not helpful that our culture is constantly pushing us into this, right? Uh, back to the days in which I grew up, when I grew up, like 1990s to 2000s, let me know if you remember this. There was this scene that was in every single movie ever created in which a woman walked like this, <laughs> I don't even know how, right? In slow motion as her hair blew in the wind and probably her shirt started right here and she's probably licking a lollipop, right? I mean, these are just like, this was a common scene. And I remember like the one day that I think I realized this is kind of weird was when they did it to like a 12-year-old or something. I was like, whoa, hold up. What is happening? The world isn't quite that sexist anymore where we just look at women uh, solely as sex objects in movies. It's still totally there. But the thing that it's exchanged is like, okay, so we won't sexualize women in the same slow motion way that we always did. Instead, we'll just have all our actors and actresses sign contracts that they just might have to get naked in this TV show or in this movie, and they have to do whatever we say. And so now, like, everything you see, even if it's just on normal TV, like, there's elements in it now that just were not there when I was growing up, Right. <laughs> Like, I have to be concerned about what might be on a television when my kids are in the room, because I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, TVMA, we didn't have that, right? You had to special order special channels back in the day if you want to see that stuff. And now it's just commonplace. So culture does not help us at all. It's constantly pushing us. I remember N.T. Wright, I can't remember exactly what he said, but in one of his books, this theologian just had this wonderful quote about, look, if you want sexual purity, like, you're going to have to like, work hard at it and strive for it because the world's not going to let you get it very easily. It's constantly there trying to, to pull you another direction. And that's always been the case. Um, but we have to keep that in mind, whether it's a billboard, an ad. Uh, it's just everywhere. Even if you're just on news, right? Hey, a news article. You get to the bottom, and suddenly there's a girl just kind of like hunched over, and you can see cleavage. And it's just like, one in four Jackson residents found this problem in their body. And you're like... I don't see how this picture in this, this title connect at all, right? No, it's trying to seduce you into something. So uh, you're always going to find culture pulling you that way, especially because media uses that very easily to get people uh, to check out their articles or anything that they want. So God's standards, culture is going to push us one way. What are God's standards? Uh, I mean, very simply, I already said it. The only space the whole Bible continually keeps telling us, even... Uh, over the people who are doing it the wrong way. We constantly come back to this place where a man and woman get married and that is the only appropriate place for sex. 
And that's difficult for anyone. You should not have to say as a Christian, like, oh, yeah, it's no problem. I'll do that. I, I could be pure that whole time. No, admit you have raging hormones inside of you. It's the way you're made, and it's not that easy, especially with things like an Internet that offers you the space to come quietly into its grasp. So with all that being said, just recognize uh, to achieve God's standards, which are very high, is hard to do. Um, Matthew 5, 27 to 30. So if we fast forward a chapter from where we're at today, Jesus says this. He, here's how he sets the definition of like purity and, and righteous sexuality. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with a lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, I would guess given the context here, masturbation, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. I'm gathering since all y'all got eyeballs that... Uh, <laughs> We're probably not taking this as like a literal saying here um, because I'm sure every single person in this room has lusted over someone in some way, whether it was thinking of them naked or thinking of sex with them. So with that being said, we have to recognize, I think Jesus, of course, is being hyperbolic here. He's over-exaggerating to make his point. It is so important that we get our sexuality under control that like, losing body parts itself, that would be less important. Origen actually took this seriously. This old church father, uh, he was, legend has it, I don't know who came up with the legend, but Origen apparently castrated himself in order to fit this criteria of not having to deal with this. Uh, again, I think it's, it's, Jesus is going over the top to make a point. We shouldn't actually, God's not really a God of self-mutilation, okay? But Jesus' point is clear. It's very important that we get this under control. And if we can't get it under control, well, then we're going to be dealing with the fires of hell. And the Bible is pretty unanimous that, like, sex is a sin that can really mess us up. It can mess us up. It, you know, a lot of people say that, like, all sin is the same, right? That's not really biblical, I don't think, when you look at the way the Bible talks about Syria as to all these different uh, degrees as to what sin could be. Um, and sex, since it affects not just ourself, but someone else, it increases its ability to, I think, be higher up that chart. Uh, even the Old Testament confirmed like righteousness. It's just sex between a man and a woman who are married. A Job, he's talking about how righteous he is. And one of the ways that he qualifies himself as righteous, he says, I made a covenant with my eyes that I would... Uh, he said, I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? So in Job 31.1, you see Job just saying like, look, I promised my own eyeballs that I would not look at anybody else lustfully. So it's not just a new thing with Jesus. It's an Old Testament thing too. So again, for Jesus to not have sinned means that he didn't do these things, which is very impressive. He still had to deal with the biology of being a human being. I imagine Jesus probably went through the scientific course of things like wet dreams. These are a part of what scientifically happens to people in puberty. Yet Jesus was able to maintain his purity and his righteousness and fight off sin. And he gives the invitation to us, even though we have already failed there many times, 
he gives the invitation to us to walk out of these problems and into uh, self-control, which the Holy Spirit will give us if we allow him to grow up. So, all that being said, uh, let's close it out. I want to just give you three quick tips as to how you can start fighting it now if you're dealing with it or how you can help someone else who might be dealing with it if you're not. So three tips for fighting sexual temptation as we close out. I'll try to be quick here. First off, very simple. Just have a conversation. Look, if you're in this room tonight and you're dealing with it, you need help outside of yourself usually to, to get free. You need someone to hold you accountable. So start talking with someone. Now, if you're here tonight and you're not dealing with it and another Christian comes to you and says, I am dealing with it, I hope tonight has given you the space to say, when that person comes to me, I really need to do a good job at loving them and being graceful and teaming up with them. Even if I don't understand the temptation, even if I don't understand how this all works, I'm going to join them and help them in their efforts. That's often a slow process, so just be ready to help them. A lot of times we just pray like, oh, I'm just going to pray myself out of this. God, you don't want me to deal with this, so would you just take it away? I've, I've heard three stories where God answered that prayer and supernaturally took that temptation away. Oh, how great that would be for every human being, right? I just don't think that's usually how God works. In fact, even with Jesus, I don't know if you noticed in what we read today, Jesus has to, the spirit chases Jesus into the desert to be tempted by the devil. That's weird. And then Jesus has to face all these temptations. And after Satan leaves, it says angels then showed up and ministered to him. <laughs> if I was Jesus, I'd be like, oh, now you're here. Thanks, guys. 40 days I've been in this desert trying to face Satan incarnate in front of me. And now you're here. Right on time. <laughs> but that's the image that it paints for Jesus. He's chased it out in the desert to face temptation by Satan. And after he successfully beat it, then the angels show up. There's an old story about a desert father who had the same thing. He was facing demons in a cemetery, and he's tempted the whole time, even sexually while he's there. And he beats it, and he comes out the other end, and then God shows up. He's like, where were you, God? And God was like, I just want to see how you deal with it yourself. <laughs> That's not what we want to hear. We want God just take it away and hope for that supernatural miracle. That's a rarity. It does happen, but it's a rarity. So have the conversation. Don't just expect to uh, fight it yourself. You need help. Uh, next, Covenant Eyes software. Uh, Covenant Eyes is wonderful software. In fact, they help put together the porn phenomenon, this book that I've been using these stats from. They, uh, what they do is you can put it on your phone, your tablet, your computer, your laptop, whatever, and it'll pay attention to the rating that you put. So if you're an adult and you have your phone set to like teen or mature because you know like some of these web pages, like, that's not what I'm going there for. The phone will, uh, the setting that you set will work with you. But if it sees something that you're on, it'll flag it and send it to an accountability partner and say, this is going on. That really helps people to not want to look at that stuff because you don't want your friend to be like, oh, here's the stuff that you check out. So that's helpful. But what's really cool about Covenant Eyes is in March, they're launching an a update that I think it could change everything, in which, you know how... Uh, Facebook has all that facial recognition stuff, right? Like uh, me and Casey were doing a live video. Casey got in the screen. It's like, would you like to tag Casey Mellinger? It's the creepiest thing ever. Uh, <laughs> but it's just like it saw Casey's face on a live streaming video and knew he was with me. What Covenant Eyes is doing in March is they're going to watch all of your screens in the same way. So if you ever come across anything 
it uses software to recognize because it knows well what porn looks like. It'll find it and it will send it. So now you can't even like hide from it. It's watching your screens at all times. I know, big brother, but this is a big brother that's trying to, to help us in ways that uh, our culture really needs. So Covenant Eyes software will help, especially after that update in March. Finally, marital expectations, okay? The church has told a lie in order to try to keep people from not acting out sexually till they're married. And here's the lie. <laughs> when you get married on your honeymoon, you are going to have the hottest, greatest, most wonderful sex that you have ever had. And it will be like that for the rest of your life in which you will ravish your significant other on the table, on the couch, whatever. They're so hot, you don't even know what you have ahead of you, right? You've heard some form of this lie before. Guess what? Marriage is not pornography, all right? It ends up that when you want pornography, you can go find it and have it whenever you want. But another person, they don't always want to have sex with you. It's weird. It surprised me, okay? But apparently, you have to, like, romance the other person, or you have to hope that they're in a the mood. It takes time. It's not as simple as just, well, I want it, and so now you have to give it to me. And some people use the Bible that way to be like, well, the Bible says, like, you have to give me my rights. No, don't, don't use it like that. Uh, even, even Paul said, like, look, it's better to get married than to burn with lust. And that's understandable. Paul understood, like, if you're dealing with this, like, marriage is the only healthy outlet, so, so get married. But do remember this, you guys. Paul wasn't married, and maybe he didn't understand. Like, it's not as simple as just like, all right, I'm married. I can do it whenever I want now and get this out of the way. So I would suggest there's this possibility that Paul didn't understand just how hard sex can be in, in uh, uh, kind of working that out between people. So your spouse is not your pornography, okay? Uh, if you want to deal with sex the way that it's actually created, then you have to recognize that it's with an actual person who has preferences different than you, has thoughts different than you, has a sex drive different than you. So if you want to have sex like one to two times a week and they're fine with once a month, the answer is not like, well, you have to have sex with me one to two times a week because that's what I need. The answer is also not, well, I'm only going to have sex with you once a month because that's all I need. The answer is, we're two different people, but the Bible says that we're one person. So how can we begin to meet each other's expectations in rational ways. Okay, maybe, maybe I'll start trying for once every two weeks. And this person, okay, that's better than what is currently happening. Let's try to balance this out. And just continually working with one another until you start to grow in this. The hottest sex of your life will not be on your honeymoon, okay? It just won't. You won't really know how it works <laughs> if you've been waiting. And when you learn how things work, it actually gets better over time. So, uh, I understand why the church told this lie of just uh, wait till you're married because it's going to be the greatest, hottest sex of your life. They told it because they wanted people to wait and they knew that was good for them. But a lot of Christians have gotten messed up from that because now they, you know, get married like, huh, this is not what I was told it was going to be like. <laughs> Time to recognize that, okay? So, tips for fighting sexual temptation as the band comes up one more time. Have a conversation if you're dealing with it, talk with someone. If the person who you confess to isn't dealing with it, 
That person needs to be very good at helping and loving and not being judgmental about it. It's a very easy thing to get caught up in. Second, software. If you've got kids in your house especially, look, they're going to deal with it eventually. They're going to see something. When I was a kid, you just got viruses and it just put porn on the screen when you opened the browser, right? Uh, so if you want to get ahead of that, this software is going to help you out. Finally, marital expectations. It is not as simple as the hottest, greatest sex of your life from day one of marriage to the day that your spouse is no more, right? It's just not that simple. Uh, and if you want to fight sexual temptation, you need to work these things together. Okay, so we got into it. We talked about it. Uh, one of the words that we kept getting when we were uh, praying on Wednesday, uh, the word release kept coming up. Uh, two people felt it, actually. Someone came in, wrote down the word release is what they felt the Holy Spirit putting on them. And then someone else prayed that same prayer later. Uh, in, in attempts to try to connect that word tonight, if you need release from this, now's a good time for you to start to be bold enough to face it. Uh, there will be a prayer team in the back if you want prayer from them. And please understand, not everyone's going back there to get prayer because I know... If you all think you're just going back to get prayed over for porn, no one's going to go back there. Uh, but whatever you need prayer for, head to the back. Uh, but if it's that, pray for release and see what God begins to do. If you're not going to get prayer, then begin to practice release. Because we should not be so ignorant as to say the 7 in 10 people who have a problem with pornography are not in this room. If anything, there's plenty in every church who are going through this. And uh, it's a silent killer of spirituality. So let's fight together. Amen? Amen. All right. We're going to worship. Prayer team's in the back. Uh, sorry for going so long. It's not so easy to talk about sex in two minutes. It's just not how it was designed to work. So with that being said, uh, let's worship. Would you uh, stand with us? And then you could take whatever posture you'd like after that. <laughs>